I hope this morning as uh, we go into this last message on detox uh, and we look at an aspect of many of our lives that uh, we would love to be detoxed from and that is perhaps uh, uh, if you're like me periodically uh, you have sort of this low grade depression that that you fight Uh, and I I, I think I've probably had a little bit all my life, and I, I discovered at one point that it seems to parallel the intensity of the cloud cover in January and February, and uh, as far as uh, when it occurs uh, most dramatically, and it seems to diminish a lot right around June and July when the sun is the fullest. Well, we can't change those, those circumstances. However, when I moved out here, uh, knowing that in some ways we, we experienced kind of the cloud cul-de-sac, all the clouds that we had in Illinois that we just saw fly over, come here and just sort of get caught in a, in a little eddy and they just stay here. And I know a lot of you uh, still keep your spirits very high. And I'm, I, I came here and I discovered that I had a little bit of the blues and I ask some of you, you know, what do you do when you don't have the sunshine that you need? And, well, some of them say, well, we just go to Florida. And I said, well, that's not really an option for me right now. Uh, and others say, well, if you don't have that option, then you really have a couple of options. One is uh, you can sit underneath a sun lamp and get the UV rays you need, or you can take vitamin D uh, and come to find out that all of us have... Uh, a gland inside of our head that uh, activates hormones that make us feel good. And if we don't have enough sunlight or vitamin D, those glands just don't work. And there is something you can do about that. Uh, And that's truly what I had to do in my case. And I I definitely felt pretty good until I ran out of vitamin D oil a couple of days ago. I'm starting to go down a little bit, but hopefully uh, replenishing all of that Um, There are other issues that are in play that you and I struggle with uh, that have a lot to do with uh, uh, the circumstances of life unrelated to sunshine that we face every day. And as um, I I, I come in this morning, I I know that today isn't an exception for a lot of you. And even pastorally this week, I had a lot of things that came up that... um, uh, really were very demanding uh, of, of just, you know, my heart uh, in, in trying to minister. So in that way, I, I feel a little bit depleted myself. <clears throat> so in the process, hopefully as we go through this together, uh, we can identify maybe some of the things that are at work and then find something uh, special uh, to rally around that will help us. And a lot of times, uh, people go through uh, either one or two kinds of depression. One is that deep depression where you feel very strongly uh, just that um, life has um, a sense of despair uh, clouding it all the time. Or you have that sense of, uh, of just never really finding any pleasure or enjoyment. And, and it can turn pretty dark. And that type of depression is, is one that is characterized as clinical depression. However, there's another one where it is just sort of a, a low-grade sense of kind of having the blues and them not going away. And it can be provoked by things that happen in your life. It could be that you've, you've had a job change or you've lost a job 
Or uh, some of you I know, you retire and it does create sort of a vacuum in your life and you don't know what to do. Uh, The good news is I've seen people who've been in that place quickly discover that there are people around them, especially spouses, who find plenty for them to do. And at times uh, they're wondering if retirement is everything that they were promised. But there's also other things that happen when we, when we uh, have any transitions in life. If we've moved, maybe some, some of you have moved here in the last few years or you're facing the prospect of moving away from connections that you have and you sense uh, the, uh, the, the grief that that's creating in your own life. Maybe you've had a love interest in it and it's gone south and you're feeling, yeah, that's, uh, that's something that I, I thought I got over a long time ago, but it's still there. But regardless, there is a heaviness. And maybe the heaviness is something that you know it's there and you don't really even know quite why. It's there, you don't understand it, you just know that you have it. You can't articulate it, but you realize that your heart is heavy. Now, I don't want to depress you too much in this message. I hope that you come away encouraged. But we do have to go down into the valley a little bit before we can appreciate the mountaintop. And if, um, if you think about those valleys, you realize that in the 23rd Psalm, there is actually uh, something in that valley that, uh, that we can take hold of that I believe parallels the message that we're uh, sharing together in this morning. Um, but uh, I can only say that the diagnosis for depression is, is, is pretty common. I mean, if you take the millennials, for example, as a generation of kids, about a third of them would say that they have this low-grade depression all of the time, partly because uh, the opportunities that they look forward to uh, that their parents maybe enjoyed from college education aren't really there. Uh, maybe it's because uh, college is the new graduate, uh, graduation from high school as far as getting, getting anywhere in life. Uh, maybe it's because you're 30 and you don't quite feel like you've grown up yet. Um, you know, I have a couple of kids. One of them is rounding the corner to the finish line. And um, I, I know, you know, it's funny if you have kids you see uh, characteristics in them that they share with you. Now, a lot of us would say, yeah, all the good ones are with me and all the bad ones are with him or her. Uh, But the reality is it's a mixed bag and some kids take after you more than others in different seasons of life. And and my daughter, uh, she's getting ready to graduate college. She is out uh, scouring the landscape for jobs, looking uh, to make connections with people, and trying to find that pathway that she feels like uh, will open up the door to her career. Uh, But she's in that limbo state right now, and I've had to uh, uh, talk to her on the phone a number of times to kind of keep her spirits where they need to be and encourage her along and coach her along. And I know that in some sense, her heart's going to be a little heavy until that time comes when somebody says, yeah, we'll bring you on board. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, she'll have a whole new set of challenges. There'll be a wonderful honeymoon. And then there'll be the reality of your boss and expectations and things that you never were taught in college. But I'm not talking to her about that right now. That's another conversation. But I can appreciate where she's at because as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, 
There is a time for everything. There is a time to laugh, and there is a time to mourn. And we, none of us in this room are exempt from the laughter or the mourning. They are just wired into the way life was designed by God. But if you're in a season like, um, like many of us are or have been, maybe you can relate to what the psalmist said in Psalm 42.5. In it, um, David writes, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And it is just a way of blurting it out. I'm feeling it, so God, I'm going to tell you about it. Because if there's anyone out there who can help me out, I know it's got to be you. And hopefully, one of the reasons why you're here today is because you've discovered that it is him. And he does help us with so many things in life. And yet, when we are sad, we ask ourselves, maybe uh, as we read this in other translations, why is my soul so discouraged? And it's like I'm up in the balcony and my soul is down here. And I'm talking to my soul from up there. And I'm saying, soul, what's wrong with you? Why are you so sad? And the truth be told, um, maybe we know, maybe we don't know. And if you look at your life, uh, like um, I'll, I'll tend to get up in the morning and I'll think about my day. But I'll also think about what I was doing yesterday or the week before things that I've got to uh, follow up on or things that I've got to begin to act on. But I know this, in that conversation that I have with myself in the morning, sometimes um, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying, man, I have regrets from the past. Or I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying, man, I know how this day is going to unfold. I can just see it coming. And uh, Friday was that day for me this week. Uh, No, Thursday. It's all a blur now. Uh, Thursday, I believe, was that day for me. Uh, I, I got up in the morning. I'm, I'm not even out of the shower. And my wife tells me, did you charge $590 to the YMCA in Youngstown? And I'm like, what? And she says, I thought so. I said, you're right. I get up in the middle of the night. I drive up there. I work out. That's why I'm so buff. And um, I said, I look at John and I just get depressed every time. So I've got I've to try to change my game. So I'm like, great. So that means uh, somebody's scamming our credit card. Well, I get to work and uh, it's just an in, a harbinger of things to come. And I realize that there's trouble in the present and that can throw you into that funk. Well, or... You're all good with your past. You've, you've ironed out things. You've reconciled with people. You've, you've, whatever it is that you needed to resolve, it's sorted out and you're feeling pretty good and you know the day ahead of you is probably going to be not too bad, but then all of a sudden you're looking to the future and you see troubled waters on the road ahead. And you're like, oh, isn't it funny how our minds, if they're not thinking about something in the past that didn't go so well or dwelling on something in the present that we feel like we'll never get out of this box canyon ever. Or we're thinking as we look to the future, what's the worst thing that could happen? 
And all of those things are tendencies, I think, that you and I have that we have to deal with, if we're honest. And we have to deal with it in a way that I think um, uh, really is, is God's way. And God has allowed us to go through these things with the promise that one day we will no longer have to be overwhelmed and crushed. And I, fe- I think if you look at the pattern of Jesus' life here on earth, it started out pretty good, pretty promising, precocious kid in the temple at 12, talking to the religious leaders, all these hopes and prospects in front of us, in front of him rather, of fulfilling the ministry that he was called to live out. And for three years, he laughed and he cried with his disciples only to come to that place, that garden, that garden that was so crushing, the garden that people called Gethsemane. And do you know why they call it Gethsemane? Because it literally means the garden of crushing. Did you know that? That's where they go to stomp on all the olive oils to take the oil and extract it for, um, uh, you know, for, for, for the purpose of, um, of, 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 the, of the usage of, of olive oil and consumption. And it is in that garden that Jesus took three people that he was the closest to in that circle of friends that he had going with him here to there. And those people were Peter, James, and John. And in that, he prayed. And the scripture said that he was so overwhelmed uh, that, um, that it was like there were drops of blood coming out of him. And the words that he said was, My God, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And if Jesus had sorrow to the point of death, then he's probably a good person to go to whenever we share in our own sorrows. And it is maybe God's way or Jesus' way of saying, whatever you're going through here in life, I can relate to. And I don't really even know what that means. My, my sorrow is so heavy to the point of death. I mean, it may have been that he was thinking about just ending it all. I don't know. But chances are, it was just a way of saying, my heart is so heavy right now. I can't, I can't get beyond this burden. And he knew what the burden was. And it was the heaviest burden that anyone would have to, have to face that ended up being a bloodstained cross. Now, some of us, when we look at our problems, they are, by comparison, uh, no way as significant. But in our minds, the magnitude is still great, isn't it? When we think about that thing that weighs on us and we just can't quite get away from it. And oftentimes, it's not so heavy that we can't bear it, but it's heavy enough that we just want relief from it for a while. And so in our, in our, in our day and age, we have ways of relieving ourselves of that undertone of depression. I mean, we could use uh, any, any type of medication. I'm sure doctors would be very quick to give you something. We could use alcohol as a way of trying to just somehow dull the pain a little bit. We could take... Um, uh, that out on binging on Netflix. We got our favorite movie. We're going to watch it. And that's my happy place for right now. Till the series ends. Then it comes back. Maybe, um, maybe a lot of you I can tell are gamers. I can just see it. 
You're on the you're on the computer all night playing games, right, John? Yeah, no, not me, huh? Uh-uh, no way. Peg wouldn't let me buy buy an Xbox, even though I wanted one for Christmas. Well, it could just be sleep or endless activity. It could be uh, thinking I'm going to have an affair. It could be just uh, anything that just takes us away for a minute. And yet, when we come back, it is still there. And Thankfully, this has been going on for thousands of years. So there are people that have spoken to this in profound ways that I think we need to listen to. And when David said these words, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And I like what he says after that. He says, put your hope in God. For I will praise him, my Savior, and my God. And essentially, he's telling his soul, Soul, you're doing a lot of things to get out from underneath that heaviness. Here's what you need to do that will get you through and that will last. And that is to put your hope in God. Now, I'd love to just tell that to everybody when they're in that place. And I'd love to help come alongside them and show them that God does have ways of lifting our spirits. I I just know it to be true because I, of all people, have had to wrestle with this uh, just as much probably as each of you have. And I know that there, there, there are experiences that I have where I just wonder, God, are you there? And as I wonder that, I read these Psalms and I discover that if David found God, in his trial, that I probably could as well. So here are just a couple of things that I think help us along the way to get past that, um, that heaviness. And the first one is to realize that God's power and presence is the only way to release the heaviness of your heart. God's power and presence. And as we just kind of talk about that sense of release for a second the the fact of the matter is we are conditioned from an early age to hold on to things I mean my 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 wife tells me yeah there are some days at school when those kids they just can't be quiet I mean they just can't really get a hold of their, their 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 mouths enough to shut it down so that we can do things so one of the trade secrets in the industry at her school is these kids are young and they like to play games. So they're asked, let's play the quiet game for a while. You say game, they're on it. And so they're all being very quiet and watching each other, remaining silent. And the teachers are like, one of these days they're going to figure it out. And then we're in trouble. And invariably, there is that kid who takes the macro view and he says, what's going on here? We're all told to play this game, be quiet. I don't have to follow those rules. And that kid says, I'm not playing by those rules, so I'm just going to keep talking. But what the rules in short term do is help the teacher just get the job done. But in the long term, those rules, along with so many other things that that were taught, 
And I wouldn't say that's the primary cause of it. But as a, as a male at a young age, we're just taught to hold it in, to suck it up, and just don't really complain. And I think for the most part, that has some value. But there are things that, as a male, you get locked up inside of you. And you're, you're told not to tell anybody stuff that's churning in your soul. And you just feel that quiet desperation that they talk about in Death of a Salesman, for example. Of just no one really knows the pain that I have. But Jesus does. Isaiah called him the man of sorrows. He was the one who was despised and the person that was rejected by mankind. But before I get to that sense of his identification with us, I want you to be aware that as the Bible says, there is a time to be both joyful and a time to be in that, in that place where your heart is heavy. Uh, it's just a season and it's a time. And maybe sometimes God is saying that season will end a little quicker if you take some steps. And, and you recognize that God's power and presence is the way past that heaviness. And as um, we begin to discover a little bit how to move past, I love what the, it, it should be the, the minister's manual. It should be on the front page. And it is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And in it, Paul is in the state of his own turmoil. He has a church that he's writing to that really has caused him a lot of heartache. And he's feeling the strains of a low-grade depression with them. And he even uh, blurts out in these two letters uh, some angry words at the church. And yet, uh, in all of that distress of things not being what they should be, he opens up this beautiful letter uh, at the beginning with praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, there's a word that is repeated in this first opening chapter, and it's the word, <coughs> excuse me, it's the word comfort. And there is one of the names of God is the Holy Spirit. And one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is what the Bible calls a paraclete. And paraclete is a Greek word which means to come alongside. Uh, to be that person that is right there with you in the midst of what you're going through. And God is saying, by my spirit, I am there to comfort so we're kind of locking this down. God's power and presence. God has the power to lift our spirits because God's already been down there himself. And God has the presence through his enabling of his spirit to lift our own spirits. And I know there are many of us in the room who felt the presence of God. And as uh, if you're like me, you know that keeping God close is an important part of just keeping not only your sanity in a crazy world, but it also helps you to keep your, your true north, what it is that defines your life here on earth, and what are the boundaries that you live out here in life. But there's also that sense that God is just that comforting presence 
I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, my parents were kind of a mixed bag sometimes. It seems like when my, my mom was the bad cop, my dad was the good, good cop. And then there were times when my dad was the good cop, or bad cop, and my mom was the good cop. And I never knew who to expect whenever I was in trouble, either in pain or, or causing pain to them. Uh, but I remember playing ball with a friend and getting whacked with a baseball bat right in the neck. And I'm like, oh man, I think I'm going to die. And I ran home and I'm gasping for air and I'm just thinking, this is the end. I'm just here to say goodbye to you all. It's been wonderful these eight years that we've lived together. And I know my dad probably just had to be laughing. But he came alongside me, told me a little story about something that happened in his childhood that was very similar. And the fact that he's here to tell me says that he lived through it. I can't tell you how comfortable that made me feel. I realized that my trip to the funeral home was a little bit premature. And he ensured me that I had some time yet and I should just hold out. But he turned it into something kind of, kind of humorous, even though for me it was catastrophic. And I think that's the way God the Father is to us. But the way that he does it sometimes is a little surprising because we don't always know how he's going to do it or where it's going to come from. And as we're just carrying this weight and feeling this pain and the heaviness of the moment, maybe some of you are saying, I do believe that God's power and his presence do all that. But Leonard, I got to tell you, there are a lot of times I honestly don't feel it. I mean, I've prayed, I've asked, I've gone through my dark valley of the soul, and it's just like I haven't really sensed that he was there. And I even had this conversation with my, my daughter uh, about a month ago, and I'm, I'm listening to her say these things, and I'm like, this is also territory that I've been down. And what I've realized is there are, there are occasions when God speaks to me in private in a still small voice. But most of the time, when I experience God um, in the way that I need to experience him, I've discovered through trial and error, through just a lot of missteps along the way, I've discovered this. And this is the second point. And this is the thing that I, I think I would just like to shout out from the rooftops. And that is God's power and presence is, ex is only experienced consistently around other people and community. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. And a lot of us, we hear that verse, and we're like, well, yeah, uh, yeah, you're also with us when it's just you and I, and, and we find promises in that regard. But I think what Jesus is pointing to here is something that we don't really consider that much, and that is, it's necessary for us to be around other people when we're going through this time of low-grade depression. But it isn't just any other people, it's people that we trust. 
people that make us feel safe, people that care, people that we know have our best interest in mind, people that, like us, not perfect by any stretch, but people that nonetheless are daily intentionally trying to keep the Lord front and center in their lives. And when Jesus said that, he was saying something so profound that I, I think a lot of times living in American culture where we do emphasize individual rights and individual merit and individual self-direction and, you know, everything is really premised on the enabling of the individual. So much so that we bring that into our spiritual lives and we begin to think, yeah, my faith is also an individual, private affair. And if you're just coming in the doors, you can certainly leave it there. And no one's going to force you to open up to other people. But what you find in time is that you begin to experience other people's lives. And when you do, you find that if they are sincere in their faith, those are also the people that will help you the most when you need God the greatest. And so God's power and presence is, is I think, only consistently experienced in community. So what does that mean? One of the things that we have historically done here is we've had Sunday school classes, which have been wonderful for creating that sense of community. You go from, from just being in the pews to those type of gatherings but what we found over time with the baby boomers and, and people that follow, um, many of the Sunday school classes have historically been structured as, a, as, as really a, a, a teacher giving information. And sure, there's fellowship. But a lot of the younger um, uh, people, as they come and they wrestle with their problems, they certainly crave the teaching, but they also crave the interaction where... A person knows when they're hurting and they, they come alongside them. And there's an intimacy that begins to develop in that that creates bonds that last a lifetime. And in the course of uh, my experience with Sunday schools, I've, I've certainly learned a lot and had some of those bonds. But it is whenever I've gathered with people in homes, in, in, in more personal and intimate settings, that I, I've really felt like, yeah, I feel a lot stronger out of that. And, and if you're like me, if you've ever gathered in a, in a, in a, in a community of people that, uh, that, that love each other, that also are struggling and sharing their trials and their victories and, their, and, and even their defeats in the safety of that place, they all would tell you, I wouldn't change that experience for the world. And God is saying, if you really need me, the best place to find me is in the lives of other people that I'm living through who can minister to you. And it just takes our faith to a, a really a very sustainable level. And I just wanted to show a picture real quickly. My wife and I, we didn't have any kids yesterday. It was weird. Uh, and so what do we do? We did something that I avoid like the plague, but I'm feeling magnanimous. And I said, honey... Let's go see a movie. Any movie that you want to go see. And I'm thinking, 
don't do chick flick, don't do chick flick. And she chose a movie that we both liked. I'm like, ah, she's a keeper. So we go to the mall. And she says, I got to go to the mall and look for some, some jeans. And I'm like, But uh, I enjoyed the company, so we went. And I, met, I saw these people there. And I hadn't seen these people in about eight years. But as soon as I saw them, it was like there was a bond. Because when I first came, um, I, had a, I was part of a small group. And um, there was a young couple who just started coming. And uh, just recently married. And not really sure about the faith thing. And they were just getting off the ground in their understanding. And invited them into a group. And then... Um, Chris, who is on your right, and Courtney on your left, were baptized here. And um, they were in our small group, and we had highs and lows and ups and downs and all kinds of wonderful conversations. And then, um, sad as it is, uh, life changes. They moved on uh, where their work um, uh, led them and uh, had to go to another church. And uh, so when I saw them, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's Chris and Courtney. And we hugged them, and, and, and all of a sudden we discovered it's not just them, it's two more. And they've multiplied. And as I saw that, of course, I was just thrilled to know that the Lord is still front and center in their lives. They go to a, a big mega church. They said, you know, we, we like our church, but we just don't like it as much as we did when we were with you guys. Because we kind of miss that intimacy, that, that community, that sense of connectedness. They said, you know, we, we, we long for that even where we're at. There are strengths and weaknesses on both ends of the continuum, but it was so good for me to just hear them say how much community meant to them and how much the bond that was there had been created. Now, in, 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 in the later on in the spring, we're going to be launching community groups, and hopefully that will give people a chance if they want to engage uh, to do so accordingly. But we also have existing Sunday school classes that, that, that definitely help along the way, and we can direct you there. Uh, but all of that to say that maybe the best way for you to begin detoxing from that low-grade connection, maybe the cure, maybe the thing that takes it away is what you've been missing. And that is to be a part of a church body, not just in, 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 in pews, but also in, in community groups where you can begin to experience God on levels that your soul longs for. The first step in doing that may be just having that reset that begins with God and a relationship with Him that leads to all of these other relationships that He also moves in and out of and through. And maybe God is calling you to start your new year detoxing by just re-identifying with him in the most profound way possible. And that is in the waters of baptism, which represent cleansing and healing and renewal and change. And then coming out and identifying with Christ in ways that are profound and I'd invite you to do that. If, you, if you're interested in becoming um, a, a, a new believer in Christ and establishing that relationship, maybe now's the time to come forward and just begin the process. Or maybe putting on your connect card, I, I need to follow through on that.
And we want to help you take those steps and ultimately lead you into those communities that will be healing and, and very therapeutic for your soul.